Now, that all said, let's bow our heads very quickly. Father, thank you for this time we can spend together. I pray right now, Father, that you would, in each of our lives, you would open up our hearts and that you do something miraculous in our lives. We don't know what that's going to be. We, say, we ask that you do something miraculous in this service. We trust you. We praise you. We thank you for this time that we can spend together. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember the, the story of Jeffrey Dahmer? Um, Jeffrey Dahmer, they called the Milwaukee cannibal. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was an, is, was an American serial killer who killed 17 men and boys from 1978 to 1991. Many of you don't even know who this guy is because you weren't even born. But um, for those people who remember, when you bring up his name and you tell that story... They're, they, they, I've talked to so many people and they say things like this. Jeffrey Dahmer either is or deserves to be rotting in hell. That's their attitude. He just deserves to be rotting in hell. And one college professor, I was kind of studying this over, said that if Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven, I don't want to be there. If Jeffrey Dahmer got to heaven, I don't want to be there. Roy Radcliffe would, who was the, the, the minister, the prison minister who baptized Jeffrey Dahmer, would disagree. He would disagree. Roy would say that Jeffrey Dahmer's desire to have Christ in his life was sincere after visiting him for seven months in the prison. And Jeffrey Dahmer told Radcliffe this. He said, I feel very, very bad about the crimes I've committed. In fact, I think I should have been put to death by the state for what I did. A fellow inmate actually did kill Jeffrey Dahmer in prison in 1994, so he is dead. But here's the question. Could someone this hideous, could someone this vile and this hideous be forgiving, be forgiven and find salvation in Jesus Christ? I mean, some of us don't even want to think about it. And I'm not God, so I don't know what's sincere or not sincere or whatever else. But could someone this hideous confess their sin and give their lives to Christ and find salvation in Christ. Well, this morning we're going to start a new series. It's a, it's, a, it's a new series. We're kicking off a new series called Portraits. It's Portraits. And it, we want to take a closer look. So Portraits, a closer, a closer look. And I, I want to continue, if, if it's okay with you guys, I really have loved this whole idea that we've had over the last, actually this year, where we start out in one place, remember Joseph Bondage, we kind of move forward and we're going to the promised land. I want to, and now we, we talked about in last series being in the presence of God and how do we live in the presence of God. And I want to keep that theme, if you will, moving forward. How do we live in the presence of God? And what I want to do through this series is take some unique people. And most people you've never heard of or just heard a little bit about. And I want to study their lives in greater detail so we can learn from them for our own lives and our own walk with Jesus Christ. How we can learn from them to enter more into the presence of God each and every day. And I want to start with a story of the thief on the cross. You know, everyone, if you if you have any uh, connection with the church... You've at least heard the story of the thief on the cross, you know, two thieves that were were crucified next to Jesus. And we've heard a little bit of the story, but we never really talk about them. So this morning, I want to start with the story of the thief on the cross. Now, obviously, we don't know a lot about him. 
We don't know too much about him, but we can glean, we can really glean some insights from the biblical text that we're going to be looking at, and also from history, what we know about history. So we can find this powerful story in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified, they, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. This story shows us in no uncertain terms that if if a person comes in humility, confessing their sin and cries out to God for salvation, they will be heard. They will be heard. Regardless of their background, regardless of what they've done in the past, regardless, if if the person comes with a humble heart before God the Father, confessing their sin and crying out for salvation, they will be heard. So the Bible doesn't really tell us too much uh, about the, the, the personal life or give us too much personal information about the thief on the cross. We don't know his name. And as I was studying this, I'm trying to go in history and look for little insights. And as I was studying this, I found that in the Catholic Catholic tradition, his name was Dismas. Now, we don't we we can't verify that. That's just their tradition. Dismas was his name. We don't again, we don't know that. But what we can know, if you will, it's not absolutely certain. Okay, but we we, we pretty much from history can tell that he probably was Jewish. Why do we know that? Because Romans did not crucify Roman citizens. Okay, the Romans would not crucify their own citizens. So we can be fairly sure, fairly certain that he was a Jew. The, The Bible doesn't elaborate on his crimes. But Luke says in, in verse 32, Luke just refers to him as a criminal, basically as a criminal. In the Greek, uh, that word can also mean an evildoer. So he was an, he was an evildoer. It can, it can mean committing gross misdeeds, okay? Gross misdeeds or, or severe crimes. This was a, these were bad men, okay? These weren't just and then they picked up and thought, just crucify him with Jesus. These were very, very bad people. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 38 and Mark chapter 15 and verse 27 call them robbers or pirates. Okay, robbers or pirates. From Matthew and Mark, 
you get this whole, this idea, the, the, this word robber. If you look in the original, in the Greek, the word robber can also mean a highwayman or a bandit or a plunderer. Okay, someone who's, someone who's wreaking havoc on the people around them. Both words, okay, from Luke and from Matthew and from Mark, both words indicate that these men were violent criminals. Okay, they would have no hesitation whatsoever to commit violent acts against other people. So not only did they steal things, and these were people who robbed people, who beat people, who maybe murdered people. And if, if, if you kind of, if you go down the, if you start reading and studying this also, these are the same words that are used for those people who kind of waylaid the Good Samaritan. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 and verse 30. It says this, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. Okay, same word. Okay, same word. They stripped him. And beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So it gives you kind of an idea of what the personal life was like of these two criminals that were crucified next to Jesus. They were robbers. They beat people. They harmed people. Okay, They were pretty much godless men, pretty much godless their entire lives. So now... Our criminal that we're talking about, there's two of them, we're focused on this, the second one. Our, our criminal is going to face the punishment for his crimes, and the punishment is going to be extremely painful. This is going to be a painful death. They're going to crucify him. They save crucifixion for the worst offenders. So they're going to crucify him. Crucifixion was, was created to inflict the most pain possible and the most humiliation possible. So it was a painful and humiliating way to die. And this is what the thief was dealing with, what he was going through. So as he hangs on the cross, you think, okay, what else can we learn about this man as he's hanging on the cross next to Jesus? What other observations can we make? Well, he had more, it shows us, he had more than a passing knowledge, if you will, of Jesus. I don't think he, he it wasn't like Jesus was there and he found out a lot about him while he was there. He had more than a passing knowledge in in verse 40. It says that he knew basically that he knew that Jesus claimed to be the son of God. That was knowledge to him that Jesus claimed to be the son of God. And then in verse 42, it tells that that he knew that Jesus would have authority after Jesus was dead. So he had some kind of biblical, if you will, I use the word that biblical, he had some kind of theological understanding of who Jesus was, okay, and what Jesus claimed and the authority that Jesus would have. The Bible tells us that 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 those who pass by Jesus also mocked him. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, and as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he was but being mocked by passerby, or the people that are passing by, they're mocking him. Also, the soldiers were mocking him, and the religious leaders were mocking him. Along with those people mocking him, one of the criminals who was being crucified also joined in the mocking. In Matthew 27, 44, it tells us the robbers who have been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. See, the, the first criminal mentioned in this story is basically mocking Jesus. He's mocking him. Now, I want you to kind of process it through with me. 
What this shows me and my own life experience shows me that sometimes people die the way they chose to live. They end up dying the way they chose to live in anger and mockery. I have watched people leave this world, okay? Watch people die. And in many cases, people who were bitter and angry and, and, and just vile kind of people go out mean and angry, vile kind of people, shaking their fist, if you will, at God and the whole world. That's how they leave the world. And I've watched other people who have given their lives to Christ, who've lived righteous and holy lives, tried their best to do their best to be the kind of man or woman that God has created them to be. I've watched them leave this world as well. And they've gone out in, in a way, in the way they lived their lives. Well, this criminal went out the way he lived in a very, if you will, angry and mocking way. He just continued to mock. The other criminal, the one that we're focusing on this morning, defended Jesus, acknowledging, this is important, the other criminal acknowledged his own sin, he acknowledged his own guilt, and also acknowledged the innocence of Jesus. He recognized that he was being crucified for what he had chosen to do, how he chose to live his life. See, people don't want to take responsibility anymore for their own sin, for the things they do in their lives. They want to blame, blame him, blame her, blame this, blame your past, blame everything. And so continue down the road that you want to continue down in your own sin, but you want to blame someone else. This criminal didn't do that. He took responsibility and guilt for his own mistakes, but also recognized the one he was being crucified next to was innocent. And we find, it, we find this man's response to the mocking criminal in verses 40 and 41. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. And the Bible tells us that they found nothing in Jesus to really accuse him. They, they accused him, but they were lying. He didn't do anything wrong. I mean, crucifixion was left. For, it was it was just created for those for the worst and vilest offenders. And that's what Jesus had to suffer. And that criminal recognized you're mocking this person, but he didn't do anything wrong. We're getting what we deserve. And while hanging next to Jesus, he owned, he owned his sin and acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah. In other words, he gave his life to Christ. He lived a horrible life. But in that situation, hanging next to the Messiah, hanging next to the Son of God, he gave his life to Christ acknowledging our sin, okay, acknowledging our sin has always been a requirement for those who are seeking forgiveness. Acknowledging our sin has always been a biblical requirement for those who are seeking God's forgiveness. Psalm 32 verse 5 says this, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I confessed my sin to the Lord, and what did God do? God forgave me. That's the pattern. I sin, I ask for forgiveness, God forgives me. It's that simple. That's the pattern. First John 1, 8 and 9. If we confess to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So again, we come, if, we, if we say, uh, you know, I, I, not me, I'm, I, we don't confess our sin. Basically, the Bible said, you're a liar. But if we confess our sin, what? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, I spent a lot of time visiting people in prison. I spent like nine or ten years at one point visiting someone in prison and I would visit other people on and off. I'd go to jail and I spent a lot of time in jails and prisons visiting people. One of the things I've, I've recognized when I am in prison is that there are a lot of people in prison, many people in prison, who, who do not admit, if you will, their crimes. Okay, they, they, they didn't do it. Uh, I'm here on, this is not right. I shouldn't be here. All that kind of thing. Or they will justify what they have done. They'll justify their crime. Well, it wasn't, it, it was this person here and I did this, but they did that first or I was, I was under the influence or whatever else. They, there's always a reason why they committed the crime they committed. Not in every case, but in many cases I've found that people justify what they've done or they basically, they say, well, I, I didn't do it. I'm, I'm, I'm innocent. I didn't, I didn't do it. We're often, honestly, let's just be honest here, we are often not much different. We're not in prison, but we're not much different. I said a few weeks ago, and, I, and you have to understand what I'm trying to say here. I said a few weeks ago, I don't even know why Jesus came to die on a cross for the sins of people because it seems to me, and I'm talking about Christians, I'm talking about pastors, I'm talking about staff people, I'm not talking about our own church, but all the, the interaction that I have with a lot of pastors, a lot of church people, a lot of people go to church a long, long time, a lot of staff people in churches, a lot of, vo- a lot of volunteers, whatever. It, it's, you know, well, I, I'm wondering why did Jesus have to come to die because it doesn't seem that anything that we do anymore is wrong. Anything we do, whether, we're, whether it comes out of our mouth, that's not wrong. Our actions, oh, they're not wrong. It, it, we've kind of gotten sucked into the culture. So you ask yourself, what did Jesus actually come to die for? Hitler? Jeffrey Dahmer? <laughs> it certainly didn't come and die for me. And what we'll say is, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, all right, well, I, 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 messed, I messed up. But I haven't done anything that bad. I just, I just messed up. I, once in a while, I just kind of mess up. But I, you know, I, you know, I haven't done. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. Okay, here's the reality. My, Jeff Greer's sin, your sin, helped nail Jesus to the cross. Okay, that's reality. Now, I know it's not politically correct anymore to say things like that in church or anywhere else. But the reality is, I'm a sinner, okay, saved by grace, and it was my sin, things that I have done, my sin and our sin, that helped nail Jesus to the cross. So if we have this attitude like, oh, I can say any words I want to say, that's not a sin. I can get wasted, that's not a sin. I can sleep, whatever, that's not a sin. Nothing's a sin anymore. You can always justify it by just saying, oh, I'm deeply in love with this person, so we did this, and, and I, I felt like this, so I got totally whatever. And, or, uh, you know, oh, those are just words. They don't have any value. I mean, it's like, what, what is there? No, of course, none of us have any kind of pride issues, right? It's ridiculous. Jealousy, pride, right? Stealing. Gluttony. You go, let's go down the list. No, none of those really count anymore because then they can always, I, can, I can personally always justify everything I do and the attitudes that I have are based upon the things you've done to me and I'm justified in behaving the way I behave because you did it to me first and therefore, again, why, did, why is there a cross? See, this is what this criminal is teaching us. He's, he's saying, I, I deserve what I'm getting. 
Jesus does not deserve what he's getting. He's, he is confronting the other criminal, saying, Do you, don't you fear God? We, you're, we're, on the, we're all here hanging on this cross. Don't you have no fear of God? Do you understand what's actually happening here? The thief realized the truth that I just described to you and pleaded with Jesus. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. One's hanging on one side. Hey, if you're so whatever you're there, you know, why don't you get help? Why don't you save us? And they're all mocking him from down here. He's mocking him from up here. You know, he's going out the way he lived his life. You know what I mean? God, to whatever with God and, you know, harm everybody. He's going to go out. He's going to go out the way he came in. All right. He's going to go out the way he lived his life. The other criminal on the other side is like something happened in his life, recognizing who Jesus was. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. But then, wait, this guy's a bum. Hear me out. He, he probably killed people. He certainly hurt a lot of people, stole from people. I mean, robbed from them, beat them, like it said in the Good Samaritan, probably left them half dead, ruined families, all this kind of stuff. But he said, he confessed his sin, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And listen, that simple acknowledgement and cry for mercy, that simple acknowledgement of his sin and his wrongdoing and his cry for mercy was all that God the Father needed to welcome him into his family. Some people are like, that's not right. That's not right. I've been harmed in the past. You're telling me that if someone went around and killed someone and then they get it, that they're going to heaven and just like that college professor. Well, if that's the case, then I don't want to be there. I am telling you that. This criminal that we're talking about, this thief on the cross, acknowledged his sin, cried out for mercy to God, and that's all God the Father needed to invite him into his family. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Cries out for mercy, acknowledges his sin, and Jesus says, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing story. What an amazing story. A man who most likely lived his entire life opposed to God, who harmed other people, who probably spent so much time harming others, is saved in his dying moments. Now, again, some of us are like, that's not fair. I lived my whole, I was, de- I, not, I, I'm agreeing with you. I lived a decent life my whole life. I'm agreeing I'm a sinner. I'm not saying that, but I lived a decent life and I try to be obedient. And then this guy's hanging there in the last moment. He cries out to God for mercy and forgiveness and acknowledging his sin. And, and then, then Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. In his dying moments, he gets saved. I, I got a good song for you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? We sing that song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Last week we talked about it is well, right? We talked about, we talked about how, how the man who wrote it is well, Stafford, who wrote it is well, did that in the midst of absolute agony of losing his children nearly losing his wife, nearly losing his entire business in Chicago fire, and he writes, it is well, right? And Annie Johnston Flint wrote another amazing hymn who was, she had cancer and arthritis and, you know, was bedridden, and she wrote this beautiful thing. Do you know John Newton? 
wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, he knew what he was talking about. He didn't sit down, oh, I'm going to write a really good hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet, right? He didn't. You know what he was? He was a slave trader. Hundreds of men probably died or did die under his watch. The reason he wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound to Save a Wretch Like Me wasn't because he's looking around the room and going, yeah, what a pack of sinners. Let me write a good hymn for you guys. You guys can sing this one when you need to, right? No, he was on his knees begging. He was writing about himself. Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that Saved a Wretch, a Sinner, a Horrible Human Being Like Me, Like Jeffrey Dahmer, right? Like the Thief on the Cross, Amazing grace. That's how amazing grace is. It's like it, 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 you think, oh, I could never, this couldn't. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I said earlier, a person who comes to God with a humble heart, confessing their sin and asking for forgiveness, will be heard. They will be heard. God hears a humble heart. Romans ten thirteen reminds us, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me say that. Remember my favorite words, right? Everyone, all, right? Every, I love the Bible. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The thief made a confession of true faith. He knew Jesus. He, he, he knew Jesus was going to die within that, that day. He knew Jesus was going to die. But he also recognized he, whatever God had opened his heart and opened his mind. He knew that Jesus and he, he both, they were all dead that day. He knew Jesus was going to die that day. But he also understood that Jesus had the ability to save him after death. He had the faith that Jesus was who he said he was and that he had the power to save him even after death. He believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Jesus declared that he, that he would receive eternal salvation. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. His confession of faith on the cross was enough to bring him into the presence of a holy, righteous God. Here's something else very interesting that I, 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 just, I just love. Most of you know I love apologetics. I love talking about like the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah and, and, and Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. Well, these thieves fulfilled one of those prophecies. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 53, 9 through 12. Jesus, okay, the Messiah would be, was assigned was assigned a grave with the wicked, boom, and with the rich in his death. Obviously, it's another prophecy, which happened. Lazarus, right? He was put in a rich man's tomb. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. This is, this is a prophecy, okay? Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will, be justif- will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. This is basically crucifixion, okay? Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he has poured his life unto death. Listen to this. He was numbered with the transgressors, 
for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That doesn't seriously, let me read that again, because if that doesn't give you goosebumps, you're just not alive. All right. So it says, he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Specifically, for the thief hanging on the cross, and then specifically for all of us. Finally, think about this. The thief, the thief took a public stand for Jesus Christ. He took a public stand for Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 41, it says, this man has done nothing wrong. They're all mocking him from down below. Jesus hanging on the cross. And he's saying, this man has done nothing wrong. He's, he's confronting the other thief. This man has done nothing wrong. Here's my question. Do we have the courage to take a public stand for Jesus Christ? Do we have the courage to stand against the tide of public opinion and political correctness and social issues? Do we have the courage, like this thief on the cross, who was a vile man but then gave his life to Christ, do we have the courage to stand up for Jesus Christ in the midst of everything that's going on around us? This thief also, like I said, had the courage to stand up against his friend and challenge him for mocking Jesus Christ. See, very few of us today, if you will, will take a public stand for Jesus, whether it's at work or at school or in your home or even in the church almost now. It's, it, it's, it's, it's actually amazing to me. Fewer and fewer churches will, ne- will, will, will preach the whole gospel anymore. Why? They don't want to talk. What I said this morning would, would bring shivers down the spine of so many people in churches now. Because it doesn't make us all real comfortable. It brings shivers. Because you know why? Some people might leave. Some people might be offended. They might be offended. But I've got to be honest with you. I'd rather offend a sinful person than a holy God. Okay? God, God, I'd rather offend you than offend God. I don't want to offend anybody. I really don't want anyone to leave Grace Chapel. I don't want anybody to leave here feeling all terrible about themselves at all. I really don't. But I'd rather offend myself. I'd rather offend you than offend God. But now it's like, oh, we can't offend anybody. We can't say anything. We've got to be politically correct. And we offend God in the process. These two violent criminals left the cross and this world with two different futures. One left a cruel and wicked and vile person, and he is spending eternity apart from God. That's called hell. And that's just the reality of what the word of God says. He, these two criminals went in two different directions. The other criminal that we're talking about this morning is now seen as holy and righteous and forgiven in God's sight. Why? How can you? How, well, we got two criminals live the exact same life. How can you say that? Because when you confess your sin, when you ask for forgiveness, God no longer sees your sin. He sees his son. That's why. God no longer sees my sin. He sees his son standing right in front of me. I'm here. The father's here. And he sees his son. So when I ask for forgiveness, when I ask to come and be adopted into God's family, God no longer sees my sin. He sees his son. See, we all have the same choice to make this morning. We all have the same choice. 
We have the exact same choice as these two thieves. One who ends up living his life the way he's going to live it, mock to the very end, live wickedly to the very end. And I'm not even saying just deny God to the very end. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Or on the other end, saying, you know what? I've played this game in church long enough. It is time for me to recognize who I am and who I am in relation to a holy God and give my life to Jesus Christ confess my sin and give my life to Christ. In Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned. This is what the Bible says. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. God has created us. We are his creation. He wants us to be more than a creation. He wants us to be his children. He wants us to be adopted into his family. Because of sin, we are separated from a holy God. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in Romans 6.23, it says, says this for the wages of sin is death death the one criminal he got it eternal death but the gift of god is eternal life through our lord jesus christ the gift of god is eternal life that's what jesus offered this other thief eternal life today you will be with me in paradise do you know if you were to die today where you would go tomorrow where you go the moment you died that's a question that's been asked for like years in the, in the church but it's a good question. Do you know? The thief on the cross knew because he confessed his sin, asked Christ for mercy. And Jesus said, today, when we all die, when this is all done, you will be with me in paradise. First John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. I love that. All, again, every all. I love all, all unrighteousness, which means when you ask Christ to come into your life, he wipes your slate completely clean. It is like being a little kid and kicking the ball in the tree and getting it stuck and yelling, do over. Your life's a do over. You get to start all over again. All the things of your past get wiped away. God, does. it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I separated you from your sin. It's a do over. I am starting fresh. I am new. I, the old has gone. The new has come. That's what the Bible says. The Romans 10, 9 says that we need to confess with our mouths in our hearts and our brains that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. The thief on the cross somehow had enough faith to believe that Jesus would have the authority that he said he was going to have after he was dead. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Really quick, some of you are still thinking, you don't understand. You have no idea what I've done in my life. You have no idea the, th- the crimes, if you will, I have committed against the people around me. You have no idea the, the things I've done, the hideous things that I've done, the hideous things that I've thought, the hideous things. My guys, really, think about this. Okay, that thought's going through your mind because Satan is pouring into your mind to think those kinds of things. And that is a thought from the pit of hell. Okay, it is not true. If anything, we learned this morning that whoever comes before God with a humble heart confessing their sin before God. They will be heard. What God is looking for, like with the thief on the cross, God is looking for that confession, that humility. And that's all it took to have adopted that person into his family. I don't care what you did in your past. That's the past. I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about it's 1040. I'm 10 minutes over. I apologize. But, you know, talking about the gospel here, it's time is time. All right. 
We're talking about a 1040 right now. You go from 1040 for the rest of your life. It's different. You're a new creation. The old is gone and new has come. That's what we're talking about here. To say that somehow you've done something worse than Jeffrey Dahmer or the thief on the cross or anyone else you can think of like that who've confessed their sin. Have you have you kept slaves to the point where you killed hundreds of people? Amazing grace. The grace of God, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, God loved you so much that he gave his son to die for you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I put my hand up, saved a wretch like me. I want you to bow your heads with me. And here's what I want you to do. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ already, but you're not living that way and you're justifying this and I can say what I want to say and do what I want to do and all that matters is love is love and all is kind of baloney. If you're living that way, it's time to confess your sin and ask God to forgive you and start living a holy and righteous life. Stop asking what I can get away with before it's too, you know, how far can I go in this and how much can I do with that? Stop asking those questions and ask the questions. What does it mean to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be righteous? That's what we as Christians need to ask. God says, be holy as I am holy. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, you don't know him. If you never ask Christ to come into your life, ask him now. And I'm not going to I'm not going to pray a prayer and you repeat to me. You've heard enough this morning. God knows your heart. The words aren't magical. If you want to confess your sin, if you want Jesus Christ to come into your life, I want to give you just a moment to spend time in God's presence confessing what you need to confess, asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and to save you. So he can say to you this morning, if you die in an hour, you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me for eternity. Just talk to him. Talk to him. He knows your heart. You don't have to have any great theology behind it. Just talk to him for just a moment. you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time just to say God I I need you I I need Jesus in my life I confess my sin I I just want to live a different life I want to be renewed I want to be restored if you prayed that sin for the first time with everybody else just bow you keeping your heads bowed just raise your hand up so I can see that just raise your hand up if you prayed that prayer amen amen Father God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Father, thank you for loving us so much that regardless of what we've done in the past, we can be forgiven because of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, you know, you know hearts. You know motives. You know us, Lord God. Thank you for loving us so much, showing us so much grace and mercy 
that you've adopted us into your family. Not for anything we've done, but because of what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Happy Father's Day.